Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. I'll also be doing the Bible readings today. So our first one is Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the second reading is from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Thanks very much, Izzy. Uh, Please, if you closed your Bible sort of at the minute, that 
reading was ended, please open back up to Psalm 139. Uh, We're continuing, this is our last Sunday actually in our series, Old Words for a New Year, uh, as we have spent January uh, in the book of Psalms, looking at a few of the the Psalms uh, across this time. So we're going to be in Psalm 139 today. Um, As Izzy mentioned, we are shifting locations. So we've uh, we used to meet at 92 Archer Street, the Presbyterian Church in North Adelaide, so just off O'Connell Street. We moved here July 2020 uh, to move our gathering sort of from the evening into the morning to reach a broader demographic. Uh, but we've now been given access again to Archer Street, North Adelaide, the Presbyterian Church, basically 24-7. So here we only have access um, for a bit of Sunday. Uh, There we have access virtually seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So we're going to do church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the plan. Um, It's an opportunity for us which we've been looking for, a place where we can move what we're doing uh, and gain some greater opportunities to reach out to our local area with the good news of Jesus. Uh, We can do more outreach out of that space. We can have DGs, our discipleship groups, if needed, meeting in that space. We can run evangelistic courses. We can leave everything kind of set up uh, and we can just walk away from it and then come back later on. So there's some great opportunity for refreshment for our teams. Uh, We can leave the coffee machine just where it should be, um, all that sort of stuff. So there's opportunities to be refreshed, opportunities to reach out with the good news of Jesus. So that's happening next. We meet, not, don't come here next Sunday. Uh, go to 92 Archer Street, 10 a.m. Uh, for our gathering there. Um, on that really quickly, uh, if you are free on Saturday uh, next week, the 5th of February at about 11 a.m., uh, it'd be great if you could come here with a, with a car or a vehicle of some kind, a semi-trailer, I don't know, um, whatever you can get your hands on uh, to help us shift the gear from here uh, to Archer Street. So 11 a.m. Uh, if you can help out. If you don't have a car, that's cool. We just need your, your grunt, your muscles. Um, so please, 11 a.m. tomorrow. That'll be shared on Slack as well. Uh, to help out. As I classically do, I've got a question for you to turn to the person around you and ask for their response. If you don't want to respond to the question, get in quick and ask the person next to you. Here's the question. It's a bit personal this week. The question is this. Do you ever want to hide from God? Do you ever want to hide from God? And if you do, why? Bit deep, bit personal. Do you ever want to hide from God? And if yes, why? Or if no, why? Turn to the person next to you. I'll give you about a minute and a half to chat about that. Do you ever want to hide from God? Go. All right. I'll get you to uh, wrap up those chats. Like um, Like I say most weeks, I like to think that the question I asked you to talk about there will have actually something to do with what we're going to talk about today. Um, We'll see how we go. Um, Would you join me uh, in prayer as we come before God's word this morning? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd open our eyes, uh, Lord, um, to see your glory uh, revealed in your word. Father, as we reflect today on the truth of you watching us, Father, please guide us into truth. And help us to see the implications of this really important and comforting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every breath you take and every move you make 
every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every single day and every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Of course, these are the words from the song by Sting, uh, one of the most famous and beautiful love songs ever written in the world. Well, that's what the website said where I ripped the lyrics from, um, at least. One of the most famous and beautiful love songs ever written. Or is it one of the most sinister, obsessional songs of all time as we look deep inside the mind of a crazed stalker? I'll be watching you. Surveillance. Sometimes, right, doesn't it seem that every moment in our society, someone somewhere is watching, observing, tracing us, keeping us under surveillance? Um, This can be really quite direct. Um, Obviously, we're living in the time of sort of QR codes where you check in and that data, some goes somewhere and somehow through our QR QR code check-in, someone is watching you, tracing you. There's security cameras in shops and in schools. There's speed cameras. I mean, you basically walk anywhere and someone with a camera can be kind of capturing you on film anytime. We are surely the most recorded generation in all of history. That's sort of direct surveillance. There's indirect surveillance as well, right? From the details of your credit card purchases, material that you've lodged with the government, uh, your own volunteering of information in various questionnaires, deliberately and sometimes accidentally as we participate in kind of a consumeristic kind of world. Uh, Whenever I log on to Amazon.com, I'm cheerfully greeted by my name. At least I think it's cheerily. as much as I can tell by the text, right? It's American, so I assume it's kind of a cheery kind of greeting. And then as I log on, I'm presented with a whole list of recommendations, what I might like to buy based on my past buying habits and the information that's been lodged about me and analyzed by, I don't know, AI algorithms or something like that. I'm under surveillance. People, advertisers, retailers, politicians, they fight for databases of names which can predict with minute details our preferences and help us become better targeted at, and better consumers and better voters. For some, right, our world in the West has become known as a surveillance society. Has anyone seen the film The Minority Report? Anyone seen Minority Report? If you haven't, it's a film uh, that, where surveillance is graphically on display. So there's a scene in Minority Report where the actor Tom Cruise, who plays the character John Anderton, he's trying to run from the authorities. Um, he's walking through a shopping arcade and there's this eye recognition technology. And so as he walks past an advertisement, he's greeted by name and offered the product. And the only way he can escape this surveillance is to have an eye transplant. So later in the film, he's walking past a board and he's greeted as Mr. Yakimoto, who was the previous owner of the eyes that he now has. Can't escape because of the eyes and the surveillance. And such thinking, brothers and sisters, is not new. Many of us will know the book 1984 by George Orwell, and the sinister figure of Big Brother, who was always watching. 
I've never heard George Orwell's 1984 book referenced and talked about more in the last two years than ever in my whole life because people are concerned that Big Brother is watching us given the situation we've been in with the pandemic. But uh, George Orwell's 1984 pictures, right, um, TV screens dotted all over the landscape, capable of watching and hearing and communicating as the government of the day could do in the world of Winston Smith that he lived in. And the information that was gained destroyed him, of course, as a person. The authorities used the information they'd gathered about him, especially his fear of rats, to make him betray his girlfriend his humanity, and ultimately learn to love Big Brother as well. It's even an older idea, this idea of surveillance. We'll actually get to the Bible eventually, by the way, brothers and sisters, but several hundred years ago, there was a a man named Jeremy Bentham who described a prison that he called the Panopticon, which was a semicircular block of cells which had a central guard area in it and this system of shutters and blinds which meant that the prisoners would always feel like they were being watched but they could never ever see who was watching them. It was meant to keep people under control. And security cameras and speed cameras work kind of on the same principle as the panopticon, actually. Have you ever, you know, sort of been on the bus or seen, you know, red light cameras or speed cameras and thought, is there actually film in that? Is that actually switched on? Have you ever had that experience? I'm sometimes on the bus with my boys and they're going absolutely crazy on the bus. And then I look up and see the little camera and go, I bet we're being captured right. And even though I say to them, look, you're being filmed, they just go, like, you know, like, like, is there film? Are they actually recording anything? It works either way, right? We often, at least if you're me, suspect they're being watched, and so we sit there kind of in, you know, I don't know, behaving ourselves. The 1984 scenario is quite serious, though, and sinister, and surveillance was painted there in very sinister terms to control a whole society and to destroy ordinary people like Winston Smith. The panopticon, right? A little bit more positive, right? Um, Because there we're keeping bad people under control. And so there's a little bit of ambivalence about this idea of surveillance. I don't know, how comfortable are you with the idea of increased surveillance? If you have nothing to hide, should you be worried? In fact, you might even see it as a useful thing to be surveilled because it makes you a better, more efficient consumer, more targeted choices based on your previous preferences and spending habits, options tailored to who we are and what we like, less time wasted. And still, we can't help worrying a little, can we? The loss of privacy, and if knowledge is power, then perhaps the more they know about us, the more control they'll have over us. It's with these thoughts in mind that we come to Psalm 139. In many ways, Psalm 139 is a hymn to the invasion of privacy. Because here we see in this psalm the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God. It's a psalm whose point is quite simply that we are constantly under God's surveillance. There is nothing he cannot see, nothing he does not know about us. And here's the question, is this good news or is this bad news? 
Is this one of the most wonderful things about our God or is this one of the more sinister things you've heard about our God? Conjuring up images in your imagination of a like, transcendent, all-powerful stalker. Every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. Let's take a look at the psalm. Uh, we know that Psalm 139 is a psalm written by King David, um, and it's an intensely personal psalm. I disagree with the great Charles Spurgeon at this point. Dare I even shudder at the thought of doing that? Um, I don't think this psalm is actually a psalm all about the big O's in Christian theology, like omniscience and omnipotence. It's an intensely personal reflection by King David about his relationship with the living God, with Yahweh. There are no clues really to the context for this particular psalm, Psalm 139. Um, unlike other psalms where the psalm is kind of prefaced by, you know, this psalm was written after this happened or as I was hiding in a cave or when I was on the run from Saul, we don't have huge amount of context here. Although the end of the psalm might suggest, verses 20 and 22, that this was written when David was under siege or under threat from one of the, the many enemies that were always after him as the king of Israel. The psalm basically breaks up into four sections. Um, if you're a note taker, we'll look at them in turn. So firstly, verses one to six. I hope you have it open in front of you. Psalm 139, verse one to six. Uh, and we see in verses one to six, the God who knows it all. Um, take a look with me, verse one. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Right up the front, David admits, just straight up, that everything he does is under the Lord's surveillance. There is not an activity that he does, that he performs, that God misses, sitting, rising, coming in, going out, the Lord knows it all. Even his thoughts are known so intimately that the Lord knows what David is going to say even before he says it. And such knowledge escapes, right, even ourselves from time to time. I love moments as a parent uh, when one of my children is about to do something that's a little bit cheeky or about to say something that's even cheekier and I look at them and I say, I know what you're about to say. I know what you're about to do. And they look at me and go, no, you don't. And then I say it and they have this look of shock on their face. How did you know that? How did you know that? Because I'm your father. Yeah. And they run off terrified. No, they don't. But here, like David's here, you know me so intimately, you know the thoughts that are in my head before I even say them. God knows what we're going to say even before it's even there. And I don't know about you, but verse five is really interesting to me. You hem me in behind and before. You hem me in. Is this a complaint from David? You know, you hem me in, God. Or is this like him just going, wow, with surprise and delight, you hem me in from behind and before. See, the word can mean in the Hebrew concerned or cornered, sorry, or besieged, or it can mean guarded or encircled poorly or protection. You know, like the old stagecoaches in the old Wild West films. David is hemmed in 
Verse 6 suggests that this is to be taken positively, although there's still a little bit of hint of ambiguity. But David does seem to resolve that being hemmed in by God is actually a good thing. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I mean, how do you respond to the thought that you are hemmed in by God before and behind? The next section, verses 7 to 12, David reflects on the God who sees it all. The God who sees it all. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, David here reflects on his inability to escape God's presence. Where can he go? Not to the heights, not to the depths, not to the east, not to the west. There is nowhere in all of creation where he can hide. And verse 11, that's an interesting kind of statement. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. I mean, is that an inference from David that sometimes darkness might be sought by him in order to escape the presence of God? There's a hint of frustration here that you cannot hide from him. Or is this the reflection of a king who's been fighting among the darkness of the surrounding nations where the true God is not worshipped, he's not honoured, and he's confident that even there he is safe in the hands of God. The clue again is verse 10, suggests that this is a very positive statement. Even there your hand will guide me, David says. Your right hand will hold me fast. This is the God who can call light out of darkness, who can... And there is no place in all of creation where we are beyond his reach, where we're beyond his comfort and his care. It's an astonishing picture of God. Seeing all, knowing all, even following or pursuing the psalmist wherever he goes, no matter the height, no matter the depth, no matter east, no matter how far west. And it reminds me of the very famous psalm, uh, not psalm poem that describes God as the hound of heaven chasing his prey here, there, and everywhere until he, the hound catches his prey. How do you respond, though, to this portrait of God? A God from whom there is nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. I mean, does this make you go, thank you? Does this cause you to feel gratitude? Or is there a hint of resentment from time to time that you can't escape his presence? Verses 13 to 18, David goes on to explore how God knows and how God can do all this. So he turns his thoughts to God as creator, the God who is creator. Verses 13 to 18, David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How does God know this? How does God do this? It's because God made David. God made David. You created my inmost being. Even in the womb, this wonderful person David was being knit together like a fine weaver, carefully, creatively and thoughtfully and purposefully knits together a piece of cloth or a rug. David knows that all of his future is in the Lord's hands and he praises God for his unbelievable thoughts and knowledge about him. Verse 17. All of the details of David, right? His height, his weight, his eye color, his IQ. I'd know his fear of the dark, if we had a fear of the dark. All of his childhood accidents, all of his adolescent traumas and his triumphs, his weaknesses, his growth areas, all of his relationships, every imaginable detail of every imaginable person, God knows it all. A little while ago, I read somewhere that over 100 billion people have existed on planet Earth. 100 billion people have existed on planet Earth. Guess what? God knew every imaginable detail about every imaginable person. What a God we have. God knew David better than he knew himself. God knows you. And God knows me better than we know ourselves. How do you respond to this picture of God? To be known at that level of detail, that degree of intimacy. I think it freaks me out a little bit, to be honest. Um, In my relationships, I prefer that my relationships actually contain a little bit more ignorance, personally. There is, after all, a lot not to like about me, that I'm quite happy that you don't know about me. But I wonder, is there precious comfort knowing that someone knows you so intimately? Or is there fear? Is this a threat to human freedom? Psalm takes an unusual turn in verse 19 um, as David speaks about his enemies and his hatred of the wicked. So from verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're reminded at this point that there are those who do bridle and rage against this God who knows and sees and creates and does everything. And we're reminded that a choice needs to be made. Will we align ourselves with God or will we be against him? Are we for him or against him? 
David expresses his choice in very stark terms as he aligns himself with God, the living God, the God who knows all against the enemies of God. And as he goes on, he prays, right, that he will not be found amongst those enemies in the very last verses, uh, verse 23. He says, search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He asked God to test him. Test his thoughts to see if there are any offensive ways so that he wouldn't be amongst those enemies of God that he's just kind of vehemently and passionately spoken against. He pleads with God to know him and lead him in the way everlasting. It's in these last couple of verses, right, we see the ultimate absurdity of the world in which we live today. In a world where we jealously guard our privacy, where we build really high walls, where we install cameras and intercoms in our walls so we can vet people who might come into our houses, when we're worried about the threat of information getting into the hands of others, so we, we guard ourselves against giving away too much. When our homes become like fortresses and enclaves, a world where each individual is a rock and an island, David here celebrates the invasion of his privacy by God. You know, we live in a world, we guard everything so tightly, and yet David here is just saying, invade. Go your hardest. God is presented here in Psalm 139, dare I say it, as a home invader, a welcome home invader, nonetheless. No man is an island, according to King David. God always intrudes, watches, and pursues, and David invites further scrutiny. Dig deeper, dig deeper. You know, open the files in the cellar, rummage through the closet, because he doesn't want to be found amongst those who deny God. He wants to be found in the way everlasting. So there it is. A brief look at David's intensely personal reflection in response to the God who sees all, who knows all, and who does all. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Every moment of your life, every moment of my life is lived under the scrutiny, under his scrutiny in his presence. We do not have to explain ourselves before God. There is always someone to watch over us. Now, is that the greatest thing you've ever heard? Or is that one of the most threatening things you've ever heard? Do you welcome and embrace this level of scrutiny? Will you join with David and say, dig deeper, Lord, dig deeper? Or would you like to try and hide? There's no ambivalence for David. All the clues are positive. Why? Well, he knows his God. David knows his God. There it is in the very opening line of the psalm. O Lord, Yahweh the promise-making and the promise-keeping God, the God whom David knows through his own personal experience that God is good, that in fact David would be nothing without the watchfulness of this God and his intervention in every aspect of his life. David knows his God. And the wonderful thing 
of course, brothers and sisters, is that you and I, in Christ, know better. We read this psalm, Psalm 139, on the far side of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God is ultimately, intimately, we know, sorry, we know that God knows us intimately as his human creatures. Not only because he's our creator, but through the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world, took on flesh, and became truly human, and knows us from the inside out better than we know ourselves. We know that all God's purposes for us are good because of what he's done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus. We know that his knowledge of us, his pursuit of us, is only for our good. We know that the hound of heaven has run us down and is now carrying us gently in his jaws all the way to our heavenly home. We know that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, him, on those who hope is in his unfailing love. We know that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to our prayers and we know that that is the best news we've ever heard. But don't you want to hide sometimes? Don't you want to hide sometimes? I mean, don't you want to hide sometimes, especially here at City Light Church, North Adelaide? Because here, the word of God is everywhere. God's word is everywhere. We, we hear God's word on Sundays, read and explained. We go to DGs during the week where we open the word and talk about it. We are encouraged, at least I encourage you to, to read the Bible every day. We're exposing ourselves to God, invading our privacy. Sometimes it can be too much information to be exposed all the time. And we can hide here, I think, at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Ironically, good, consistent, deep Bible teaching can actually give us the tools to hide from the surveilling gaze of God. You know, I like to think, by the way, that we teach the Bible well here. But as a result, right, we can evaluate the variance in the word. We can ponder the social, historical, and literary context of a passage that gives rise to a piece of literature. We can dispute the structure. We can question its historicity. We can admire the literary artistry of a passage, which are all good things. But let's not shrink, brothers and sisters, from the gaze of the word. Let us, with David, say, dig deeper. Let's not seek to flee from God's presence. Even though, I don't know, we might have word fatigue here. It's a privilege to be in a place where we are under the scrutiny of God. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace being hemmed in by God, which we know is only for our good. So we will say, dig deeper. Look deeper, Lord. 
And we'll ask ourselves continually by the Spirit's prompting, what would our lives look like if we took seriously the fact that we live constantly under the Lord's surveillance? You know, if we are constantly under the Lord's surveillance, what words ought we utter to one another? How ought we behave before our neighbours inside of the all-seeing, all-hearing Lord and Judge of the universe? And we'll pray with David, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, our all-seeing, all-knowing, all-able Lord. Father, we come before you giving you great thanks that indeed you are the God who sees all things, who knows all things, who makes all things. And Father, we, we know that this is only good news because of the good news of the gospel and your character that's revealed to us through your word. We thank you that even though you see everything, you know everything about us, those things which are admirable, those things which need work, we thank you that you love us. And Father, in spite of all our flaws and foibles and failures, You've shown how much you love us and you've shown how good you are to us and you've shown us how you only want good for us because you've sent your son, the Lord Jesus, into the world to lay down his life for us. And so, we, Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. And, Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Father, when we are tempted to hide from you because we feel too dirty, too sinful. Father, remind us that that's exactly why the Lord Jesus came, to lay down his life for sinners and, Father, to make us more like himself. And so, Father, like David, we invite you to dig deeper, to search us, to know our hearts and by your spirit to make us more like Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.